Well, my name's Clayton Walker. I'm the lead pastor of the City Church and honored that you're here. If you're visiting with us, honored that you're here. Hope to maybe even meet you after uh, the, the service. I've got a confession to make though. I, I'm a pastor and uh, I'm gonna confess something to you. I've got to confess like my own sin and uh, temptations to you, okay? When, when I go to a restaurant, it's very difficult for me not to get two appetizers. I'm just gonna be honest with you, okay? I've gotta confess that to you. Um, I know at every place I go exactly what I'm going to get and I love the meal that I'm gonna get, but every restaurant I go to, I want multiple appetizers, okay? And so I'm just gonna confess that I plan to get two appetizers at most restaurants I, restaurants I go to and I, I'm, it's 2022 and I have no plans of changing that, okay? I'm just, tell, I'm just confessing to you that I, I like to get two appetizers when I go to a restaurant. Uh, my, my son Levi, my son Coben and I, we all, we all share a love for shoes. We're, we're tempted by shoes. We see a good pair of shoes and we, and we want it. My, my daughter Nixon, anytime she sees Anything having to do with painting her nails, any kind of nail kit, if it's a gas station nail kit all the way up to like a Target, you know, nail kit or, or some other like salons kind of professional, whatever it is, she wants it if it has to do with like doing or coloring her nails, okay? For my wife, Darby, her greatest temptation, well, let's just be honest, it's me, okay? I know, I know. Right, babe. <laughs> although, although, uh, since I've cut my hair, she's told me she's having to get used to it. Okay. She's, she's getting, she's getting used to it. She's getting a little bit, she's getting, it's getting okay with it. All right. Scripture says Jesus was tempted in every way that we are in every way that we are yet it was without sin. And the passage we're going to look at today here in Luke chapter four, Jesus isn't tempted uh, by some JV demon. Okay. He's tempted by El Diablo himself. All right. Which is Spanish for the Diablo, right? Okay. Some of you get the reference. Some of you don't. All right. So why was Jesus tempted? How was he tempted? In what ways do these temptations mirror our own? And how do we overcome the temptations that are thrown our way and the ways that the devil would try to steal, kill and destroy our lives? If you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter four, open our app, the city church, Lubbock, click message notes. All the verses and the points will be there for you and you can fill in the blank as we go. We are going through the gospel of Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And you've, you've heard us say this before, but at the city church, we, we study the scripture verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so we're going through the gospel of Luke. We started this last fall. We'll probably, I don't know, we'll be there in another year. Who, who knows, okay? But, but we go through the scripture verse by verse to, to develop a depth of faith and understanding in God's word. Listen, there's nothing wrong. It's not a matter of right and wrong when it comes to like topical series. We'll, we'll still do some of those here. I, I, we, we will. It's not a matter of right and wrong, okay? But we must study the scripture verse by verse in context so that we know what all of the scripture is saying. It's easy to skip over certain verses or certain passages or not deal with certain things in the scripture when you do topical series. It's also why even some of the devotionals that we buy are kind of dangerous because they take verses out of context a lot of times. So, so what we seek to do here is to study the scripture verse by verse, chapter by chapter, develop a depth of faith, a depth of understanding, not a social media understanding of scripture, not a meme understanding of scripture. Okay. We want the real thing. And so we dive in here. We study the scripture verse by verse to develop a, a depth of trust, a depth of love, a depth of mission, knowing who we are in Christ and what God is calling us to do. And we're not just studying Luke in here. We're studying Luke in our small groups, our city groups. Now's a great time to join a group at the beginning of a new year, jump on our app, select city groups, and then you can find a group that works for you. Uh, you could even sign up to start a group for your family and friends. If you'd like to do that, we provide all the material uh, for our city groups to go through the gospel of Luke with us, study the same verses we, we talk about on Sunday mornings, and then our groups discuss those and pray into those and, and seek to apply those uh, throughout the week. So we'd love to invite you to join us in our study of Luke in our small groups, our city groups, in our daily devotionals. 
Every week, Pastor Brandon writes our daily devotionals on our app under Bible study. And those daily devotionals will go through the exact same verses we covered on Sunday. They'll provide, give you some more commentary, give you some questions, give you some things to, to pray through. We're gonna study the Gospel of Lucas families and our table talk that we put out every week under the Bible study tab on our app. Once again, the table talk will walk you through as a family the, the Gospel of Luke that we talked about that week and, and give you some questions to ask and some prayers to pray as a family. So, so we're, we're not just studying it here, we're studying it as a church family. We're studying in our groups and we're inviting you to study it as a family as well and in your own personal life through our daily devotionals. And, and I wanna say this again, because it's been a little while, our hope with studying the gospel of Luke, our prayer in studying the gospel of Luke is that every last one of us will be drawn to Jesus. We will fall in love with Jesus all over again as we study the life, the teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, it probably comes as no surprise to you that we've got some people in our church that lean right, right? They're, they're conservative, okay, in their thinking and in their politics, okay? It's called the religious right for a reason, okay? So chances are in any church, you're gonna have some religious right, some people who lean to the right, who are more conservative when it comes to their politics and to uh, their, their, their social agenda or desires. And so here's my, my hope for those of you who are kind of light, right leaners as we study the gospel of Luke, is that you will be drawn to the compassion, empathy, and humility of Jesus. To Jesus, as you're gonna see it even this week and next week, to Jesus' passion, for justice, for the oppressed, for those who are our left leaners, our more liberal, our more progressive types when it comes to your social agenda or political persuasion. My hope, my prayer is that as we study the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus, that you will be drawn, you will notice the conviction in Jesus his commitment to absolute truth, believing that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through him, that his ways are right, but not only that, his ways are best. And so that, that's, my, that's my hope, that's my prayer, is that we will all, regardless of where you sit, regardless of what you believe in, we will all be drawn to Jesus. And so that's our hope as we study the Gospel of Luke. Here in Luke chapter four, Jesus has been baptized already in chapter three. He's been confirmed as the son of God by God the Father. God the Father has said that this is my son. I love him. I'm well pleased with him. He is my son. And so we said that's like Jesus saying that the Father, God is, is his father. What God is saying here in those moments is that he is of the same value and substance as me. That the, the Jesus, the son and I are one. Just like Jesus said, the Father and I are are one. So Jesus has this incredible moment of baptism where the Holy Spirit comes down upon him, where God the Father says, that's my son. I love him. I'm well pleased with him. And you would probably assume that the very next thing would happen is that Jesus goes off into like his rule and reign and everyone loves him and everyone starts following him. And that couldn't be further from the case. That's not what happens. It's actually almost exactly what we would not expect to happen. After this powerful, incredible moment, it's exactly, we go from the highest of highs almost to the lowest of lows and what we're going to see today. And if you missed last week, because the ice or snow or you're out of town or whatever, Pastor Brandon gave one of the best messages I've ever heard on the genealogy of Jesus. And so if you weren't here and missed that, go back and catch that on our podcast, on our app. It was powerful, but we go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows here in Luke chapter four. And now as Sanja comes, one of our dear prayer warriors from our prayer ministry to read, would you stand as we read the word of God together this morning? Luke chapter four, one through 13, the verses will be on the screen, but you can also follow along in your Bible or on the app. Sanja. Hi, my name is Sanja Garcia. I am part of the prayer team and I lead the intercessory prayer room at 930. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. 
But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in, the mo in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Thank you, Sandra. You may be seated. In Old Testament and Jewish tradition, your devotion to God was proven in the midst of testing and suffering. Your, your, your public outward show and religious routine was proven to be false or genuine in these private moments of testing and suffering. And in this moment, Jesus shows private devotion, trust, and a love for God that backs up and proves the outward sign of his baptism. That it wasn't just a routine, this wasn't just an outward show. Jesus really does love and trust his Father in heaven. Here's what's interesting. Luke sets this scene right after his baptism and right before he starts his public ministry of preaching. And it really reveals that every public stage that we can be given can only be sustained by spirit-driven, gospel-motivated, private devotion. Public stages are only sustained by private devotion. But then there's, there's something else happening here too, because every time we experience God, blessing from God, spiritual growth, spiritual freedom, you need to know that Satan wants to steal it. He wants to take you out. He wants to discourage you. He wants to ruin your life. And he wants to bring into question all that God has done in your life. And so even, even right after you walk out these doors today, Satan is immediately going to begin to try to steal the word that God has planted in your hearts. But at the same time, we don't always need to assume that just because we're in a season of wilderness, that that means that we're not being led by the Holy Spirit or they're not... We're not filled with the Holy Spirit. If we're in a season of struggle or in a season of, of wilderness, you should never assume that if you're led by the Holy Spirit, that you won't struggle, that you won't be attacked, that you won't face opposition. In fact, sometimes it's a sign of being led by the Spirit that because you're in a spiritual war, your devil, the devil's going to try your enemy. The devil's going to try to steal the spiritual freedom and growth and victory that you've experienced in the presence of God. You're in a spiritual war. And so we need to know the schemes, the tactics of our enemy, the devil, and how he fights. We need, to, we need to wake up. We need to wake up that we are in a spiritual war and we need to wake up to the schemes and tactics of our enemy. So that's what we're doing today. I'm calling this message and what we're talking about today, the fascination in temptation. What, what's so fascinating about the things that we're, tempted by? Why are we tempted by these things? Why does the devil choose the things that, that he chooses to tempt us, to bring us down and to ruin our lives? Well, number one, the fascination in temptation is that it tastes good. It tastes good. These things could be called the lust of your flesh, the lust of our appetites, the things that we desire. Here's what's interesting. A lot of scholars believe the fast is over at this point when Satan shows up. Jesus is hungry and Satan tempts Jesus with some bread. Now bread in and of itself is not inherently sinful unless we're talking about like Texas roadhouse rolls. Okay. Those are, those are pretty sinful. All right. But, but bread in and of itself is not inherently sinful. And many scholars think that the Jesus is fast is over here when Satan shows up and yes, he is hungry, but, but here's what's happening in this moment. Satan is taking a good thing like bread. Satan will take morally neutral things and even good things, and he will make it the ultimate thing to you. 
And that's a way Satan tempts many of us and tries to ruin our lives, taking morally neutral things or even good things and tempting to make them ultimate. That's what he's doing with Jesus here, with this bread. He's taking a good thing and he's tempting Jesus to make it the ultimate thing. The scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money itself. Money itself is, is morally neutral. It can be used for great good, but the scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. The sex is a gift from God. Listen, when Adam and Eve got together and had sex for the first time. God wasn't like, what is going on here? How did they figure this out? Like, well, he's not surprised when a, when a husband and wife get together. Okay, that's what he designed to happen. Go read the book of Song of Solomon. It'll make you blush. The gift of sex is a great thing, but it's not, it's not an ultimate thing. The same thing is true with marriage. Uh, Bible says a, a wife, a husband, it's a, it's a great thing. It's a great gift. But we can't make getting married, if you're single or when you, if you are married, your, your spouse, the, the ultimate thing in your life that your entire world re revolves around. Guys, we, we all know, almost all of you outpunted your coverage, okay? But it doesn't mean we take our wives or our husbands or the desire for a wife or a husband and we make it the ultimate thing. The same thing is true with kids. If we raise our kids with them believing and thinking they are the center of the universe because of the way our whole family revolves around them, they will grow up entitled thinking they are owed everything and life will kick them in the teeth when they leave your home. If they believe or if they've been raised to believe they're the center of the universe. No, what Satan always does is try to take a good thing and make it the, the ultimate thing. And so here, here's our challenge. Here's the struggle is that when you make something primary that was designed to be secondary, you're always gonna feel empty. When you make something primary, and this is what Satan's trying to do, this is what he's always trying to do in all of our lives. When you make something primary designed to be secondary, you're always going to feel empty. When you make something ultimate that wasn't designed to be ultimate, it will ruin you, it will destroy you. This temptation always questions God's provision, the lust of the flesh, the things that taste good, they will always question God's provision. And here's what's interesting here is that Jesus quotes to combat this temptation. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, and says, man doesn't live on bread alone. Like that's not ultimate. Here's what is ultimate. That's secondary. Here's what's ultimate. Man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what's ultimate. My relationship with God, with his word, that's what's ultimate. That's to be primary in our lives. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, to Jesus, trusting God is more important than living. To Jesus, we live by trusting in God, not by bread alone. Here's what's interesting about Deuteronomy chapter eight, where Jesus quotes from what's happening in context there is that Moses is actually telling the nation of Israel after they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, living on manna that, come, that came down from heaven by God, Moses says this, God humbled you and let you be hungry. Isn't that interesting? Moses says to the nation of Israel, God led you to this desert and in the desert, he humbled you and let you be hungry. Sometimes the suffering, the trial is from God. Sometimes it is to reveal what's ultimate, to reveal what should be primary. And that is our relationship with the Lord and his word. You see, our, our biggest problem isn't that we're weak or when we're weak. Our biggest problem is when we think we're strong. And so God will oftentimes let us be hungry. He'll lead us into the wilderness. He'll let us experience the suffering. He'll let us experience the trial. Why? To reveal ultimate reality. To reveal what should be and must be primary that we do not live by bread alone. We live by faith in God and his word and everything else is secondary. 
So that's the first temptation. It, it tastes good. It questions God's provision. Secondly, the fascination in temptation is that it looks good. These, th- these things would be called the, the lust of our eyes, the, the lust of now. I've got to have it right now. It looks good, and so I need it right now. Here's what's interesting about this second temptation that the devil tempts Jesus with, is that he tempts Jesus with something that's actually already his. He he tempts Jesus with something that Jesus is going to receive in the future that has already been promised to Jesus. He tempts him with ruling the nations, with power, with position. If you just follow me, if you will worship me, you can have the rule of all the nations. Psalm chapter two has already said that God's son will rule all nations, that the nations will be his inheritance. Hebrews chapter one, Hebrews chapter two say that all things, all the nations and all things will be put under Jesus's feet and under his authority. In Revelation chapter 11, it says that the kingdoms of this world have now become the rule of God's Christ, his Messiah, his son. The nations, the rule of the nation have already been promised to Jesus. They will be ruled by him. But notice Satan's temptation, Satan's way is you could have it now and you won't have to suffer. You, you could rule all the nations now and you won't have to suffer for it. You see, rule, the scripture says, of this present age of this world has been given to the devil for a season. For this present age of this present dark, cursed world, rule has been given to the devil. But it's not his, it's been given to him for a season. This present age, which won't be around forever. One day Jesus is going to return and he's going to take the rule of the nations away from Satan and Satan will be punished forever. But, but here, th- this is so interesting that Satan, the ruler of this age, is trying to offer something to Jesus that one, he does not have the power to give. The, the rule of this present age has been given to him by God. He doesn't have the power to give it to someone else. And then secondly, he's offering something to Jesus he doesn't have the power to maintain. You, you've got to catch this because this is the way Satan always works. He offers things he doesn't have the power to give And secondly, he offers things he doesn't have the power to maintain. That's why the scripture says the pleasures of sin last for a short while. It tastes good. It looks good. You're going to see and say, it feels good for a short while. But it's always a trap. It's an illusion. Because Satan neither has the power to give what he's promising, nor has the power to maintain the temptation that he's offering. It's a weak pathetic, short-lived substitute that Satan is offering Jesus. And that is true for every last one of us. The only thing the devil has for you is a weak, pathetic, short-lived substitute for God's best in your life. And so Satan, the scripture says that old serpent, that dragon, knows that the curse of God on his life from Genesis chapter 3 is that the seed of a woman will crush his head. And he's going to be crushed. And he knows this is the one who's going to crush him. At the cross, he's gonna be crushed. At the resurrection, he's going to be crushed. In the end, when Jesus returns, he's going to be crushed forever. He knows this is the one, this is the seed that God promised that's going to crush my head. And so Satan is desperately attempting to get Jesus to trade his inheritance for a cheap, pathetic substitute. You see this temptation, the things that looks good, look good, always question God's promises. Satan's going to tempt you to question God's promises. And so here's the challenge. Don't trade what you want most for what you want right now. 
This is what Satan's always trying to get you to do in your life is to trade what you want right now. What tastes good, looks good, feels good. What you want right now in this moment for what you want most, the blessing of God and God's best in your life. I think every last one of us would say, Hey, if there's a God, I want his best. If there's a God who can create all of the entire universe and he's got a best for my life, I'd love his best. Whatever his best is, that must be pretty good. And I'd love to experience his blessing and his best in my life. Well, if you want his blessing, if that's what you want most, then you can't trade it for what you want right now. A cheap, pathetic substitute. Jesus answers from Deuteronomy chapter six. This is the Shema. Every devoted Israelite would have had this memorized along with the rest of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They would have had this memorized. And, and so Jesus being a devoted Jew knows Deuteronomy chapter six says, the Lord is God, the Lord alone. There is no other. There is no other God. All the secondary things that we give ourselves to are lowercase g, God's. There is no other God but our God. So the Lord is God, the Lord alone. Deuteronomy 6 says, so worship and serve him only. Whatever that means, whatever it looks like, even if you don't get what you want when you want it, I will worship and serve the Lord my God alone. And I will trust his plan and his timing because he's God, he's the Lord alone, and I'm not so I'm going to trust his plan. I'm going to trust his timing. Third, fascination in temptation is that it feels good. It tastes good. It looks good. Usually it feels good. This is the lust of our own comfort. We like feeling good. We don't like discomfort. We don't like being uncomfortable. No, we, we like to be comfortable. These are things that that feel good. Jesus is taken to the pinnacle of the temple. This is the highest point on the temple and it overlooks a valley called the Kidron Valley. And so from the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point on the temple to the bottom of this valley, it's about 450 feet. And the devil says, takes him up there and says, Hey, jump off, jump off. And when God rescues you, because he quotes scripture to Jesus, God's going to rescue you. And guess what? This is going to make national news. You're going to be the most famous one ever. Because if you jump off Psalm 91, his angels are going to show up and they're going to rescue you. And they're going to keep your feet from hitting a stone. And it's going to make national news. You're going to be famous. And so let's just do it right now. There was a prophecy that said the Messiah is going to come at that place. We just believe it hadn't happened yet. Because make no mistake, Jesus, the scripture says, is going to return and it is going to be at this place. He is going to return. There is going to be a scene and a spectacle at this place one day. And I think that day is a lot sooner than later. And if you want to know why, you can go back and listen to our Daniel series that we did at the beginning of 2021. It's on our podcast. It's on our app. But the devil, once again, is saying, let's do it right now. Let's show everyone right now. Let's prove it right now that you are who you say you are. The devil's getting Jesus to prove the protection of God. That if you are who you say you are and God is who he says he is, then God must prove that he loves you by endorsing your choices right now and saving you from the pain that you're gonna force him to get you out of. If he loves you, if you are who he say you are, and if you are, if he is who you say that he is, then God will endorse your choice in this moment and he will save you from the pain. The devil's quoting from Psalm chapter 91. Jesus has been giving him scripture. And so the devil's like, I can play that game. And you need to know that the devil will play this game all day long. He'll quote scripture right back to you. And he'll get you to find the verse that you feel like endorses your life and your choices. And he'll get you to cling right onto that verse. See, that's the problem with taking verses out of context. That's exactly what the devil does right here. He takes this verse out of context from Psalm chapter 91. He leaves out some things. He adds a little stuff and he turns it all around to make it about Jesus's personal comfort instead of Psalm 91, the meaning of Psalm 91 is about trusting in God. It's about giving yourself over to God and putting yourself in his hands, believing that he will protect you. 
and that the ways of the Lord are good and right, that it's in following the Lord, it's in his ways that he will protect us and keep us safe. But the devil turns all of it around. He makes it about Jesus' personal comfort, about testing God, about God proving his love for you, about endorsing your own choices and what you wanna do. And it says this, God, you, you have to do what I want and when I want it and be okay with it or you must not love me. You must not care about me. But here's the, here's the problem with the devil's temptation is that Jesus knows the full counsel of God's word. He knows what all of the Bible has to say about everything. You see, and that's, that's why we study the scripture verse by verse. You need to know the full counsel of God's word, not, not cherry picked verses, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to say that, that topical series are, are wrong or, or bad or something like that. We will do those from time to time, but make no mistake, we are a church that will study the scripture verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, because you need to know the full counsel of God's word to give you that depth of understanding so that when the devil or when culture begins to say, well, this verse says this, which means we can do this and we can live like this and we can do whatever. No, 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 no. I know the, we know the full counsel and depth of God's word and what it has to say. And so because Jesus knows the full counsel of God's word, he knows that you can't just take some verse out of context and twist it to suit your own desires or purposes. Jesus knows that anything that doesn't agree with scripture is not from God. Jesus knows there's only pain and misery outside of God's ways, design, and boundaries. David wrote in Psalm chapter 16, I love this, your boundary lines, the inheritance that you've given me, the, the boundary lines that you have given me, he said this, have fallen in pleasant places. What, what David is saying there is that, God, your ways, your design are best and bring ultimate satisfaction and joy. Pleasure is found. Joy is found in doing things your way. And the boundary lines that you've given me, David said, they have fallen in pleasant places. And that's where joy and pleasure are found. It's in your ways, God. And so this temptation, this lust of, of comfort, the things that, that feel good, always question God's protection. And, and, and here's what this temptation will do. It'll take God's protection and it will say this. It'll think this, it'll begin to believe this. God, you're not trying to keep me from getting hurt. You're trying to keep me from having fun. You're trying to keep me from doing things my way and the way I know best. And, and, and so you're not trying to keep me from getting hurt. You're, you're trying to keep me from having fun. You, you see how this lust of our own comforts questions God's protection. It flips it around. The scripture says that God's Protection in his ways are for our pleasure. They're for our joy. They're for our good. God's not trying to keep us from having fun. No, he's after your pleasure and joy. But he says, your pleasure and joy are gonna be found in doing things my way. I've got your best interest at mine. I wanna bless you. But that, that blessing is found in my presence, in the boundary lines that I've given. But trust me, those boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. You see, when it comes to all of these temptations, we, we got to understand what the devil's really trying to do. We, we, we need to understand the schemes and the, the tactics of our enemy and, and, and really what the devil's trying to do to Jesus in this moment is the same thing he's trying to do to every one of us. Two, two, two different things. There's two different goals and purposes going on here. And, and, and number one, it's to make you question your identity. Did you see how every temptation, the devil says, if you really are the son of God, what, what did we read in Luke chapter three a few weeks ago? God the father saying, this is my son. That, that's who you are. You are my son. What does the devil immediately do? Right after Jesus hears that. Really? You sure about that? 
Like, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. Because if you were really the son of God, if he was really your dad, then he would do this or he wouldn't do that. You sure? Are you really the son of God? The devil wants to make you question your identity in Christ. For this second reason, so that he can thwart the purposes of God in your life. The devil's always trying to derail the plan and purposes of God. Why? Because it doesn't end well for him. The seed of the woman is going to crush his head. And so the devil's trying to thwart the plan and purposes of God. And specifically with Jesus, there's a great reason why the devil's trying to thwart the plan and purposes of God for Jesus's life because it does not end well for him. But here's what's interesting. As we study the life of Jesus, here's what you're going to see. Jesus is single-minded in his pursuit, in his mission. There's a, a one time where some Greeks are going to come and say, hey, we want to meet with Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, I, I can't. And you're like, why? Isn't that why you're here? It's to like meet with people and preach and do and pray for people and heal people and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus is like, I can't meet with them because I'm, I've got an hour. I've got a day that, 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 that's approaching and everything is about that hour and that moment that I've got to get to. He's healing people one time. People are getting healed left and right. More people want to get healed. More people are wanting to get healed. And Jesus finally says, that's enough. We're going on to the next place. And the disciples and everybody are like, hey, well, there's a lot of people left to heal. And he's like, that's not why I've come. That, that's a good thing. But that's not why I've come. And Jesus said, I, I, we got to get on to the next place. I, I'm here to preach the good news of the kingdom. Jesus knew, knew he had an appointed hour and time at the cross. That was his mission. And he knew that's where I've got to get to. And so Jesus is single-minded in his pursuit, in his mission. And in order to thwart the, the plan of God, Satan tries to get Jesus here to Avoid the cross. Every attack here is about Jesus's comfort. And in fact, it even says after Jesus had withstood these temptations that the devil left until when? Until another opportunity, the opportune time, another opportunity. What, what is that opportunity? It's when another time he would have been weak where he could tempt him away from discomfort and into comfort. It's a weak time. Right? I mean, and when, we're, when we're at our weakest, it's so easy to tempt us away from discomfort and into comfort. And that's what the devil's trying to do here in order to thwart the plan and purposes of God. Entice you away from discomfort and into comfort. Here's what's interesting. Jesus never performs a miracle to escape what he had become, a man to escape his purpose as our propitiation for sin. Propitiation is just a big word that means the sacrifice that turned away the wrath of God. Jesus knew his purpose was to be our propitiation, to die on that cross, to pay the fine for your sin and my sin, to turn away the wrath of God for those who would put their faith in Jesus. He knows that's his purpose is to go and suffer on this cross. But it's interesting that he never performs a miracle. At this moment, another tough moment in the garden, Lord, if it's, not, if it's your will, take this cup from me, but not what I will, but yours be done. He never performs a miracle to, to get out of the suffering, to, to get out of the cross. In fact, it's, it's the opposite. He did use his miraculous power to escape blessing, honor, position, power, influence, and prosperity. You're going to see that some people are going to begin to love him so much they want to make him king right now. But what does Jesus know? Now's not the time for that. That's not why I've come this time. Now's not the time for that. And he passes right through the crowd. He wouldn't let the people make him king. He used his miraculous power to deny Blessing, honor, position, power, influence, and prosperity, at least as far as this world is concerned. Jesus said, my kingdom's not a kingdom of this world. 
We did a series a year ago or so. It was called the Upside Down Kingdom. And we talked about all the ways that the kingdom of God is upside down when compared to the kingdoms of this world. And the great news about that then is that the kingdom of God does not depend on earthly positions of power. I have no idea how the church ever became so enamored or dependent on political positioning and political power when Jesus never sought it and even denied it. It's really an embarrassment on the church today, especially in our country, that we are so desperate. I can't tell you how many people I've seen post, how many people I've seen in conversations or whatever that think our only hope for our country is if a certain person or party is in office. That's blasphemy. Jesus never sought these things. He walked away from them and he used miraculous power to do so. So these are the schemes of the enemy. The great news is that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but did not sin. He accomplished what we have not and could not ever accomplish. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the scripture says he's filled with the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He goes to battle against the devil with the sword of the spirit, which is the scripture. Jesus says, as it is written three different times, he quotes from the scripture. So Jesus clearly believes that the scripture at this moment is the word of God. At this moment, it would have been the Old Testament. He clearly believes because in his life and ministry and preaching, Jesus quotes from the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, almost every portion of the Old Testament, Jesus quotes from it. So thereby giving authority to it, saying as God himself, proving that he's God by rising from the dead, he gives authority to the scripture at this moment saying, that's all the word of God as it is written. He he refers to it as as the word of the Lord. So so Jesus believes that that what he has read in the law and the prophets and the Psalms is the words of God. We believe here that all scripture is inspired by God. All of it, old and new. Jesus died. He rose again, proving that he's God. He said the Old Testament was God's word. And then he gave the apostles the authority under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write the words of the New Testament. And here's what he said about those words. My words will never pass away. You will always have them. So our confidence in the authority of scripture, our confidence in the accuracy of scripture is all based on Jesus's resurrection from the grave. Now, there's a lot of study you can do to back that up. I'm just saying, ultimately, it all goes back to Jesus. Do I believe that Jesus is God? Yes. Then that means he has the power to do what he said. And he said he would get us his words and his words would never pass away. So at the city church, we have what's called the city seven. The city seven are seven foundational truths that remind us of what we believe and why we believe it. We do it in here. We do it in our kids' classes and youth and our small groups, in our table talk. We review the city seven truth for that week, which by the way, also, I forgot to say earlier that even right now, our kids and youth are studying these exact same verses with a lot of the same points, with a lot of the same big ideas and, and challenges to help create that common conversation around a lunch table, maybe here in a little bit, or a dinner table. And the table talk is designed to help families communicate together about what we learned on Sunday. We're all doing the exact same thing. But City 7, truth number six is this week, and here's what it says. The question is, is the Bible God's word? Well, Jesus proved that he's God by rising from the dead and said the Old Testament was God's word. We we see that here as he's quoting from the Old Testament. And then he gave authority to the apostles to write the words of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that all the words of the Bible are God's word. Jesus believed that this is God's word. Jesus gave the apostles the authority to write words from God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he said, you will have my words and they will never pass away. We have the word of God. He's revealed himself to us. Isn't that incredible? He didn't have to, but he's made himself knowable. He's given us Jesus. He's given us his, he's given us his word. And Jesus said this to the Pharisees, you err because you do not know the scripture. We err when we don't know 
The scripture, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We hide his word in our hearts and it gives us power. It transforms the way that we think and what we want transforms our very lives from the inside out as we hide his word in our hearts. That's how Jesus did battle against the devil in the fullness of the Holy Spirit with the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. And so Christ succeeds where Adam and Eve failed. They took and eat from the tree. Looked good, tasted good, felt good. They took and ate. Christ succeeds where Israel failed. They wandered in a desert for 40 years and they did nothing but complain against God, test God, worship idols. And so Christ succeeds where Israel failed. Christ has succeeded, he has accomplished where you and I have failed. You might be here like, I don't, I mean, man, I don't have any of these issues. That's great. Then yours is self-righteous pride. And it's the worst of all because it's really difficult to see. See, the scripture never exalts you or I. It always exalts Jesus. It goes to great lengths to show how good Jesus is, not how good you are. And so that means you're not gonna one, two, three this. You're not gonna leave this place and do better and try harder. I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna try harder, I'm gonna beat that devil. You're not gonna do better, you're not gonna try harder. You can't one, two, three this. We fail at this all the time. And so what's the answer? Well, Jesus said, it's not one, two, three, it's follow me. You follow me. The Bible says Christ in you, Paul wrote, is the hope of glory. Christ in you is my hope. Not in one, two, three, it, not in me doing better and trying harder. No, Christ in me is my hope. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. If you abide in me and I, my words abide in you. It's not one, two, three, it's follow me. But when you follow Jesus, you're going to be filled with his spirit. You're gonna walk in the spirit and you're going to live and walk in his victory, not yours. But you can live and walk in his victory as you follow him, as you abide in Christ. So whether you've fallen to these temptations in your life or maybe even this week, or as you go out from this place and you seek to win the war, the spiritual war, the spiritual attack, the devil's going to bring your way right as you step out these doors. You need to know two things. Number one, you need to know your identity. You're the bride. If you're in Christ, you need to know your identity is the bride of Christ. The perfect, spotless, without blemish, without fault, bride of Christ. That is who you are if you're in Christ. And so Paul said, go and live a life worthy of that calling that you have received. It is yours. That's who you are. You are the bride of Christ, perfect, holy and spotless and without blemish. That's who God says that you are. So it doesn't matter what the devil says you are, it doesn't matter what anyone else says you are. It's who God says that you are. You are the bride of his son, Jesus. If you're in Christ. And so go and live a life worthy of that calling. We don't live a, a life worthy enough to be the bride. No, we are the bride. And so Paul says, live a life now worthy of that calling. You need to know your identity. And then secondly, you need to know your strategy and that's to abide. It's not one, two, three, it's follow me. Abide in Christ and his words abide in you. Then you will walk in the spirit and in the victory of Jesus as you abide in Christ and he abides in you. You're not gonna one, two, three this on your own, doing better and trying harder. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. We've got to know who we are, the bride, and we need to know our strategy. 
which is to abide. That's what the bride does. The bride abides. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter five, that God through his word washes his bride and he cleanses her and he makes her holy and perfect and without a single fault. You need to know who you are, the bride. You need to know your strategy, which is to abide. How many of you saw the movie Braveheart? I promise I'm almost done, okay? You saw the movie Braveheart? Okay, a lot of us have. All right. If you remember, there's a scene in Braveheart where Longshanks, the king, comes to William Wallace and he says, hey, I'll give you position, title, gold, and land if you will abandon this war and not fight against me. I'll give you position, title, gold, land to turn your back on your people. But if you will, you won't have to suffer, you won't have to die, and you're gonna get all this, gold, land, position, title. And William Wallace, it's actually Mel Gibson, but in the movie, great line, that I would become Judas, I would turn my back on my people for all this so that I might become Judas. You see, the great news of the gospel is that Jesus didn't turn away from us. Offered everything you could possibly imagine by the devil, but he didn't turn his back on us in spite of even our rejection, in spite of our unfaithfulness, in spite of the suffering that was to come. The scripture says that Jesus endured the cross. That he endured it with joy. It's crazy that he endured it with joy. He didn't abandon us. And what's more, he did for us what we've not done for ourselves and what we could never do for ourselves. He lived a perfect, holy and righteous life and then he died a lamb's sacrifice on that cross, paying your fine for sin. That's a king worth following. That's a king worth dying for. It's a king worth worshiping. If you've never given your life to Jesus today, I invite you to do so. Jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for Jesus. God, who succeeded and accomplished in everything that we never have and that we could never do on our own. And so God, we thank you that in Christ, we're the bride of Christ perfect, holy, and spotless. And so by your spirit in this moment, create in us a desire, a passion, God, for living a life worthy of that calling that we've received, it's ours. And then God, I pray that we would have a spirit-driven, gospel-motivated abiding in Christ this week, where we abide in you and your words abide in us. And so God, in this moment, by your spirit, would you create in us, God, these desires, this passion for walking with you, abiding in you and you in us. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we worship?